0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio.
1: Welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart. Our topic today is How Can I Help Them?, Adolescents grieve too. My show today is dedicated to grieving teens and their parents. If you're listening to the show, you probably lost someone that was very important to you and to the teen in your life. Your teen is probably feeling angry, sad, empty, confused, exhausted, anxious, or all of those things at once. So it's natural for bereaved teens to think things like, nobody understands what I'm going through, and questioning, why did this have to happen? Each teen loss is different, and no parent can know exactly what their teen is feeling. But sometimes hearing from families who have gone through the loss of a sibling and how they handled it can help. My guest and I want to share some ideas on how you can make the best of the worst, not by sugarcoating the reality for your teens or by avoiding it, but by taking care of yourself and your teen, taking small steps that will make the, the road a little less bumpy and the hills a little less steep. When my son Scott died at age 17, I had three other children, Heidi, Rebecca, and Heather. The question I asked myself was, how can I keep these three remaining girls safe and happy? It was about control, while their questions were, how can we be normal teens and have our freedom and still grieve for our brother? Today on Healing the Grieving Heart, my guest and I will give you tips and advice on helping those grieving adolescents. We know it's not easy. Adolescence is a stormy time at its best, and each of us is unique and special, as are our stories and our relationships and our responses to loss. Healing the grieving heart is about nourishing the heart and removing the blocks that slow the miracle of renewal. Have hope. My guest and I are here today to tell you that the heart can heal even after the tragic death of a sibling or a child. You may think your family will never be happy again. But we're here every week to tell you that you and your teens will be happy again. You will find satisfaction, fun, and enjoyment. True, life may never be the same again, but you'll find a new normal. We did it, and so can you. You can love, open your heart, and be happy again. Please join us on the show by calling our toll-free number, 1-866-369-3742 or by emailing me at gchorsley at AOL.com with questions or comments regarding the losses in your life. Today, I am very honored to have it as my special guest, Dr. Heidi Horsley, psychologist, bereaved sibling, adjunct professor, Columbia University, co-author of the book, Making the Best of the Worst, A Message of Hope for Grieving Teens. Dr. Heidi Horsley is also a primary researcher on the Fireman Family 9-11 Columbia University Family Assessment Program. And Heidi, best of all, is my daughter. Good morning, Heidi. Welcome good to morning. Healing the Grieving Heart. Thanks, Mom. It's good to be here. And I think we've got a really important show today. How can I help them adolescents grieve too? Heidi, um, could you talk to our audience a little bit and talk to us about uh, when your brother was killed and and uh, what the circumstances were around it with our family?
2: Sure. Um, let's see. When I was 20, uh, my 17-year-old brother was driving in a car with my cousin who was driving. Uh, my cousin was driving. My brother was the passenger. And they were in Washington, D.C., and they were driving over a bridge, and it was a rainy night, and they the car... It is out of control and hit a bridge abutment and it blew up. Um, so basically, I found out in the middle of the night suddenly that my brother had been killed and my cousin had been killed. And, it, and it I turned, was
1: in um,
2: Rochester, New York, and you were in um, Utah with right, your dad, I, right? Right. I was in Utah with my father and my two sisters, and at the time they were 19 and 14. And we were just on vacation there. I was at the University of Utah going to school there. And they had come out to see me on a vacation. Um, My 19-year-old sister was also in college with me there. So basically, we found out in the middle of the night that my brother had been killed, my cousin had been killed, and um, my my life was turned upside down. It was completely turned upside down. Our, Our siblings are people that have always been in our lives. My brother, since he was three years younger than me, he had always been in my life, always. And we were very close, and we were supposed to grow old together when he died i lost a part of my history um, we were supposed to go through our entire lives together and in fact being his older sister i was supposed to die before him so
1: well wow, that if, really goes a long ways out there
2: mhm
1: yeah how did you how did you think your dad and i handled it do you have any thoughts about parents and what, what we how we handled the situation
2: um at the time since i was the oldest I really felt like, since my parents were so overwhelmed, you and Dad were so overwhelmed with your own grief, understandably, and you were grieving so much for for the loss of your son, that I felt like I kind of took over in many ways and did a lot of stuff that maybe you and Dad might have done. Um, and I really grieved alone a lot because I knew how much pain you and Dad were in, and I could see it all the time. I knew how much you were grieving, and I didn't want to cause you any more pain.
1: What What kind of things did you see with us that you found? Um, what signals did we give, and do you remember?
2: Um, well, I'd always seen you and Dad as very strong and as being in control in all situations. And after Scott died, I really lost the parents that I once knew because... All of a sudden, you guys were grieving a lot and- cry. I'd never really seen Dad cry. I mean, he cried sometimes, but not like this. Maybe he'd get tear yet. I saw you and Dad really cry a lot and fall apart and grieve and it was it was fairly it was a little bit scary, I think, even though I was twenty and I was independent, I still depended on you and uh I think I didn't want to cause you any more pain, so I really grieved alone and tried not to um grieve in front of you guys, Mm -hmm. and tried to help you out as much as I could. Um, I remember after Scott died, taking his address book out of his bedroom and calling all his friends and letting them know he had just died because I didn't want you and Dad to have to do that.
1: Now, that's interesting because those are the things you really never, I've never heard that. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear a lot of things happen in the background that we, we don't realize during the time that there's a lot of help. Um, do you have any thoughts? Your sister was 14 at the time, uh, a real teenager. Did you notice, in, in retrospect, any difference in her grieving?
2: Any difference in her grieving versus my grieving? Yeah. Um, I think that she was being a, a little, teenager too. Right. I think she was a little. I mean, we were all angry and upset. I think her anger was a little more because all of a sudden, here she had been raised in a family with four kids and. Rebecca and I were in college, and she had Scott at home, and all of a sudden she goes from having siblings to being the only one left in the house with two grieving parents. And no teenager or no child wants to be the only one in the house with grieving parents. So I think she seemed a little angrier than we did. I mean, we were all upset, but her anger was more obvious, I think. Um, And just feeling like, why am I alone? This is not fair. This is not the way my life is supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be... An only child, all of a sudden, in a house with grieving parents,
1: mm-hmm. and there all the time while you guys were in college. However, exactly. I think it's really hard for the kids who leave home too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Who come back for the funeral or whatever, and then go back?
2: Do you yeah, like- you know, I felt like my loss was very unacknowledged, and even more so because I was in college. I mean, for some reason, people felt like, well, you're living, in co- you're at college, so you must not really the loss must not have been as significant for you. And it was very significant. Scott and I talked on the phone constantly. We were very close. We were only three years apart. He was one of the closest people in my life. Um, And yet, because I wasn't living at home, people felt like the loss wasn't as valid and wasn't as significant. And nobody knew him in college. Nobody, So I didn't have any support because nobody knew Scott and nobody knew our family. And people expected me after two weeks to get on with my life and to get over it. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of us who have had a a death in the family, especially of a sibling or a child, know that you don't get over something like this. You learn to live with it. And things can get better over time, but it's not that you get over it. Your life becomes different. You create a new normal. After my brother died, I became very depressed. And I really wondered why I was on the earth. I didn't want to be on the earth, and it wasn't that I wanted to commit suicide, but I wanted to be out of the pain I was in, and I wanted to be out of the suffering. The pain was indescribable. It was overwhelming, and I didn't want to go on feeling this way, and I felt like this was the way that my life was going to be for the rest of my life. Um, I decided to go on a program called Outward Bound in Colorado, because my brother had been on it the year before on, over his birthday, and I was going to now spend the following year on the same program and was going to be there on his birthday as well. So as I was getting on the airplane, I was my family was living in New York at the time, and I was getting on the airplane, and my father handed me the book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It was a very profound book, and it was given to me at the exact right the time. a
1: local life. therapy book, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, while I was on Outward Bound, I read it, and... I grieved the loss of my brother every day, and everyone on the program thought, "Oh, she's just crying because the program is so hard." Little did they know I was crying because of the pain of losing my brother. Um,
1: Did you tell anybody on the program? So did they know, or they did not know?
2: Everybody knew. Everybody knew that Scott had died, but they thought they felt that because it was three months ago, that I must have, you know, the grief couldn't have possibly still be this this big since it's been it was three months ago. Because they had not had the death of a family member, and they didn't realize that three months is a very short period of time. Um, basically, I, re- I read the book though, and Viktor Frankl talks about how he lost his entire family in the concentration camp, and how was he- how he was able to find hope again, and meaning. And
1: he says, wasn't it? If you have a, a why, you will find a how.
2: Right. Um, if you find a why, to, if you can find a why to live, you can bear with almost any how. And basically, he felt that uh, part of the way that we heal ourselves is to create meaning in our suffering. And that really struck me. And I said, how am I going to create meaning out of this loss and out of this suffering? How am I going to find a light at the end of the tunnel? How? And uh, I really searched my soul and really thought about it and contemplated it. And I realized that I had to help others that were grieving and that I was going to devote my life to bereave siblings and to bereave family members And I was going to spend my life helping others heal and helping them through their healing journey, and that's what I've been doing. And so
1: you're doing that. You work with the firemen families, the 9-11 families, in a longitudinal study for Columbia?
2: Right. I've currently been working for the last three years, as has my mother, um, with families that have lost a firefighter in the World Trade Center. I work with the widows and the bereaved children at this point. And I also did my doctoral dissertation on uh, the death of a sibling. Uh, How can people get a hold of that? Is that published? Uh, My doctoral dissertation has has actually been turned into an article, and it will be in the American uh, Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy this fall.
1: Great. And we'll also have a website that we don't have quite up yet. That will be um, the same name as the show, uh, Healing the Grieving Heart, www. Hopefully we'll have it up in a couple of weeks, so you'll be able to get... Uh, articles off of that. Well, Heidi, I wanted to go on. I know you, now you're a psychologist and uh, you're working not only with the Compassionate Friends but also uh, on this longitudinal study with adolescents. And I wanted to, I could ask uh, when I was at the last Compassionate Friends conference, parents to give me questions that they might be interested in having answered on this show. And uh, I'll start out with the first one from Mary from Toledo, Ohio. She asks, how do I know if my teen is grieving? He never cries.
2: Ah, oh, Mary, that's such a good one. Parents are always telling me that. They say, is my teen really grieving? And, you know, when I speak with parents and I speak with teens, and the teens I speak with tell me over and over and over, please let us, our parents know that we are grieving. They may not see us grieving, but we are grieving. We're grieving alone. Sometimes we grieve with our friends. We grieve in private. We don't want to cause our parents more pain, so we grieve by ourselves.
1: Yeah, and I think you talked about that, that you didn't want to cause dad and I more pain, so you were, you know, grieving, being strong.
2: Right. The teens are actually being good kids, not bad kids. We're trying to be good kids by not showing you any more pain, by not giving you any more pain. That's why we're grieving alone. That's why teens grieve alone.
1: And it sounds like this lady, she realized that her teen is grieving. Um, here's another question. Uh Ruth from Montana. How do I know if it's grief or depression? Now I thought you made a good point, Heidi, uh, regarding this when you said that um, you wanted to join your brother, but you didn't want to kill yourself or anything. I know I know sometimes families get very upset. It's been my experience when uh the teen says something like, I really wished I'd been there, I should have been there. In fact uh uh, Heather said that I wish I would have been with my brother in the car. Mm-hmm. So uh, it wasn't that she was going to drive a car off the cliff; it was or, or have an accident. But uh, so my thought is that uh, that's one way you know is that they don't have a plan or anything. Have you got any more thoughts for Ruth Absolutely. on the grief and um,
2: When it's grief, all your every all your sadness, all your sorrow is based around longing, yearning, and searching for the dead person. You want them back. If they came back you would feel better every all your sad feelings are around the loss um, versus depre- you do not with, with grief you do not feel hopeless helpless and worthless with depression you feel hopeless helpless and worthless if you ask a grieving teen or a grieving person do you feel like a worthless person they'll think that's a really strange question they won't they'll say "Of course not why would I be worthless I miss." My brother, I miss God. I want him back. That's why I feel depressed. I don't want all my life like this. I want him back.
1: Great. Um, now we've got another question from uh, Judy in Idaho. Uh, she wants to know, what about drugs, sex, and high-risk behavior? Uh, my child's. Uh, I'm concerned about them because I. she seems to be getting a little closer to her boyfriend since my son died, and I feel like... Uh, they're drinking, do you have any thoughts on
2: that? This is a tough one and one that's that 's common among teens. Um, you know when your sibling dies, there is a need for for intimacy and uh, often and oftentimes you do seek out um, intimacy with other people um, and you might you might also kind of self medicate through drugs and alcohol um, makes yourself feel better.
1: Yeah. As a a parent, I wanted to say that um, at the time, this was a big concern of mine, Mm -hmm. and I think that um, you are so uh, lacking in energy, and um, somehow you have to try to keep those rules with the teens, because a teen's job is to move away from the family, and, and the family's job is to hold the teen in and give them limits uh give them something to act out against and the the wider you make that net the more they'll act out against it so you need to have you know the, your hours you need to still have the same rules you had before they died and um it it's difficult it's difficult because uh you were talking about the anger heidi that uh, heather had at the time and uh, that we see in a lot of teens mm-hmm. and uh that anger causes them to maybe strike out a little more and uh a lot of it's It's hard to say, but try not to take it personally.
2: Right. And the anger is very legitimate. Anger is grief. And uh, it's it's all right to be angry, and it's a legitimate emotion that teens have. Oftentimes parents take issue with that and think there's something wrong with it. It's a legitimate emotion. You just want to make sure that your teen does not have any destructive behavior around the anger. It doesn't turn the anger on themselves or against others in a destructive way.
1: Right. Uh, I think also compassionate friends can help a lot with this, or finding a a grief group, not only parents, where you can go and talk to other parents about how they're handling it, and also teens have a teen group. And I think another issue is don't frame your teens as being abnormal. Uh, You really need to realize they're going through a normal process, even though they are acting out, because um, uh, labeling them as uh, problem children, which you can find in the therapy community as a therapist, If uh, therapists don't understand what's going on, they don't understand the grief process, they may label your child's behavior as excessive, and uh, that can be a problem.
2: Right. Well, I worked with a teenager that was not concentrating or focusing at school at all, and the school had labeled him ADHD, and when I talked to him about what Which means ADHD is... Oh, I'm sorry, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Great. And when I talked to this teen about what was going on, he said, how how well would you concentrate if there was a picture of a firefighter and a statement that said, never forget 9-11, in your classroom every day, and you were supposed to take a test and you were supposed to concentrate and you were inundated with that photo. Yeah.
1: Um, So
2: I think it's important to get information from the kids about what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their thoughts and their head and why can't they concentrate. And lack of concentration is normal initially after you've lost somebody.
1: And let me say, though, um, uh, we are going to talk probably in the next segment about talking to your teens. And when Heidi says you need to get information from your teens, uh, you have to get it in short sound bites. And I think, Heidi, it might be worth it um, in the next segment if we uh, spend some time talking about how to talk to teens. Let's take, uh, I want to read one more. Sue from Washington, D.C. What do I do if my child doesn't want to leave home for college? That is a very interesting one. You know, we see, uh, at Compassionate Friends, we see panels of teens, and one of the things they talk about is that they thought they were going to go away to college, but they've decided they can't because they need to stay home because their parents need them. And that is something that uh, you might think about or want to talk to your kids about because maybe they do need to go to junior college or maybe they do need to continue with their plan and you'll be okay. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Hyde?
2: Um, I think you've covered a lot of the points. The teens that... Like you said the teens I talked to said that they are worried about leaving their parents. Parents need to give their kids permission to go to go away from home to go to college and they need to let them know, look, we are grieving and we are sad, but we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. You are you it's okay if you leave and go to college. We'll be okay without you here. And
1: it's okay if you need to stay and go to junior college this year. That will exactly. be good too. Whatever you need to do, but you need to know that we're going to be okay. Because I don't think parents realize the reverse. We are so concerned about our teens. I was so concerned about you all. Concerned about Heather at home. There was no information for me on it. I didn't know what was going on. This was twenty two years ago. Hopefully there's more out there and hopefully our new book will be helpful for families and teens. And um but And it's okay to
2: move back home. I mean when I when Scott died in April, I was in Utah. I moved to New York in December. I moved back near the family
1: mm mm-hmm. and, and it, it was a way that you could do that. You went uh, to uh, design school?
2: Mm-hmm, exactly. So
1: that got you back
2: there. I needed to be near the family, so... I
1: wanted to read an email, and then after that, I'd like to... Uh, you were saying during the break that we probably ought to talk a little bit more about drug, sex, and high-risk behavior. So first, here's the email. Gwen from Alaska. Since we probably... Let's see... Um, I know your daughters were saddened as hardly any of their peers acknowledged the tragic loss. I don't think they knew what to say. Now, the cheerleader teen who lives around the corner from my house, uh, her death seemed to be handled differently by her friends. They brought yellow ribbons and white polka dot uh, ribbon, her favorite color, and tied them around their wrists. They met for vigil and talked a lot about it. The pediatrician who lives by uh, talked to all the grieving friends and explained the death to them. It was uh, all quite helpful. Good luck on the program, Gwen. Um, That uh, was a wonderful uh, tribute to this girl. Uh, Do you have any thoughts about this, Heidi, this email?
2: Um, I think it's fabulous, and I think those were wonderful rituals and an amazing pediatrician. I think that is very rare, that those kind of rituals would be set up. And I think things are changing. I mean, when Scott died, death was more of a taboo topic. I mean, it's been 20 years and things are changing. And thanks to people like you and the show and um, books that are out there and compassionate friends, death is not such a taboo topic nowadays. And I I would love to see more rituals like this in place. This is a great response to, to a death, very healthy.
1: I know there were some rituals at the school. the Scots uh, football team wore uh, black armbands, or no the, I guess the baseball team and um, so there were things that went on. One of the things that I think um, is true that there may be things going on now, but long term uh, I still think things kids may want people to get over it is my thought
2: absolutely, and also I think uh. Although I should say there are rituals, oftentimes there's still not the acknowledgement. People are afraid to acknowledge a sibling death and afraid to go up to children and say, I'm sorry about your brother or sister, and so they don't say anything. And the worst thing you can do is not to say anything. If you don't know what to say, it's great just to go up and say, Look, I have no idea what to say. I've never lost a sibling. I don't really know what to say. That's an acknowledgement, and that's a wonderful thing for us to hear.
1: Especially, I think, uh, employers and people like that oftentimes say it to the wife or whatever, but, but they don't go on to say it to the kids, mm-hmm. which I think you could even call a teenager if you're an employer uh, and say, you know, I'm sorry uh, about your dad, uh, as adults who know the family in the uh, larger world. Uh, teenagers are kind of in a double bind, though, Heidi. Um, I uh, When we see them at Compassionate Friends... On the one hand, they want people to acknowledge it, and on the other hand, they want to be normal teens, and they don't want to talk about it. So they themselves are somewhat ambivalent. I
2: think. I totally agree with that. It's very true. Um, teens want to be normal. They don't want to be different than their peer group. It's very important that they just appear like every other teen. They don't want to have a non-normative event. They don't want to have something that makes them different. And so, while they want acknowledgement, they don't want a lot. Of, they don't want people to. My, to focus on them too much and to keep asking them how are you doing how are you doing and a lot of teens say to me I wish my parents wouldn't ask me so much how I'm doing they're, they're always I feel like I'm being micromanaged I need my space
1: yeah let's just talk a little bit about the mistakes parents make um, we I, some of the kids at Compassionate Friends uh, I asked them for some ideas on what um, mistakes and they're also in our new book um, one of the mistakes that they felt parents made was idealizing the uh, dead child. Uh, you know, the idea that only the good die young.
2: Right, and that's a big one because, you know, we can't compete with the memory of the perfect deceased sibling. And there's some voids and roles that, that, like in our family, that my sisters and I filled, and there's other roles that will never be filled. He's the only brother we'll ever have. No one can fill that role. So... Uh, if you idolize a sibling like he was perfect, we can't compete with a perfect deceased sibling.
1: Yeah, and what about uh, parents uh, not accepting the range of adolescent feelings? Adol- Some of the adolescents felt that they couldn't, uh, their parents weren't dealing well with their anger or their survival guilt or that life is unfair. They didn't want to hear that.
2: Yeah, I think parents feel like sometimes the, the teens aren't grieving and feeling guilty, feeling rageful, feeling angry like life is not fair that's all, guilt. that's all grieving. Those. That's the way teens grieve. Um, and it's very normal to feel guilty when your sibling dies and you're still alive. I mean, when my brother died, I felt very guilty because there were three girls in our family and only one boy. And I kept thinking, why could it not have been me? My parents have three girls. They only have one boy. Why well, am I the one that's alive? I wish it was, had been me that died. So that's a very normal way to feel survivor guilt.
1: Yeah. Um, could we talk a little bit about how uh, how to talk to your adolescent? Um, the adolescents uh, said this is some of the things they don't want, is they don't want lecturing. Um, That's a big kind of- one.
2: I think that what parents can really do, what the teens are telling me, what parents has been really helpful is when parents go to them and say, look, I know what it's like to lose a child because I've lost a child, but I have never lost a sibling. I have no idea how to help you, or what that's like. I want to be here for you. Is there anything I can do for you? And if the teens say no, then the parents can just say, okay, well, I'm here for you if you ever need me.
1: That's just such an incredible thing. I wish I'd known those words because those are fabulous words. And the thing is, I've heard you say this before, just put it out in the air and don't Mm -hmm. expect a response.
2: Absolutely, because the teens hear it. And, and And the message you're giving the teens is, I'm here for you. And they might not come to you for years maybe, but they've heard it. And they know that if they ever really need you, you're there. And the fact that
1: they, they don't know your loss. I mean, you don't know their loss. Uh, you, we haven't all had the same loss. I've, mm-hmm. uh, you've lost a sibling. I've lost a son. Those losses are different. And uh, it's wonderful to tell them, I know I don't know your
2: loss. And teens say to me over and over, we don't want our parents being experts on our loss. They're not experts on our loss. So I guess one of the things
1: we'd say from this show today, if you're listening and you're a parent, even though you listen to this show, I'm not an expert on Heidi's loss and she's not an expert on mine. It doesn't matter how much information you collect. When you've had the experience, it's um, a big one, a big thing. Uh, what about the uh, saying the child, the dead child's name, Heidi? What do the adolescents think about that?
2: I think they like that. I think they like to know that that uh. Or whoever died is always going to be remembered, and they're always going to be a part of the family, even though they're not there. The memories will always be there. And uh, they like to have it casually thrown out into the air and, and casually mentioned in the house.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is one thing that happens for these adolescents is they may, you know, there's a natural competition with kids, and they don't have a chance to play that out. So they, you know, may have tried to do better than them in school, or, you know, comp- competed with them in different ways, and they've lost that competition, that natural. And also, I'm sure um, you can say this more than I, Heidi, but um, you remember the bad things that you said to them, or the negative thoughts you had, or you should have said you loved them more, or whatever.
2: Absolutely, because all sibling relationships have ambivalence in fighting, and arguing, and there's even in the best of sibling relationships, we argue with our siblings and fight with them. It's normal. And uh, when a sibling dies, you feel really guilty about those times and, and feel like, you know, that you shouldn't have had those times. And um, It's just normal. When you love someone a lot, they're worth arguing with. They're worth having emotional energy around. You love them, and so, of course, you argued and disagreed at times. It's just normal.
1: Yeah. Now, before we go to break, uh, we've got time to talk about... Um, I know during the last break you wanted to talk a little bit more about drugs, sex, and high-risk behavior. We kind of uh, maybe um, didn't spend quite enough time on that.
2: I just wanted to say that um, there are times where there are red flags, and it is very situational, but if, you know, you have real concerns about high-risk behavior and drugs and alcoholism and Promiscuous sex with many partners, I think that you do need to get to go to a professional and seek outside consultation um and get help because you don't want your kids to get into a, a really bad situation um and if you feel like you know what they're isolating a lot and they're they're really doing some high risk stuff, I think you need to get a professional opinion mm-hmm. and you would do that if a sibling hadn't died absolutely. So,
1: you know, you have to look at what's happening. You have to allow for a certain amount of leeway, but if it goes too far, absolutely you need to get uh, some kind of professional help. And again, I've said it on other shows, make sure, talk around, ask, find the right professional. Um, Call uh, uh, your uh, adolescent things. Maybe a school guidance counselor can help you to find somebody. Try to find somebody, interview them, and make sure that they know something about uh, the death of a sibling so that you're not sending the child into somebody who uh, can't handle the situation and doesn't understand which behaviors are normal and which aren't.
2: Absolutely. You need an expert in bereavement to help you. That's very important.
1: And uh, if you need me to help you find someone, you can email me and tell me uh, the area that you're in in the United States and I would be glad to help you track down a professional person to work with you. There are many people in the bereavement field now. Heidi um, is also my daughter, I'm happy to say. And, Heidi, we have a couple of uh, phone calls that I
2: want to take. Okay, before that, I just wanted to say that, um, Mom, you were saying earlier that uh, there is hope that, again, you will be happy and that life will not be as painful. And I just wanted to add to that that um, you will not only survive this, but you will thrive in the future. And there is hope that you will feel better eventually. And you will always remember your your loved one always remember your sibling but you will feel good again our family we just have a wonderful family and wonderful
1: kids and uh, and, uh, I just can't say enough about how I never thought it would be like this again Mm -hmm. well let's take a call now from Preston okay okay Preston
0: hmm yes Gloria
1: I'm here Uh, oh you're there hi Preston you're Preston from where
0: Carmel, California.
1: Oh, hi, Preston. Do you have a question for Dr. Horsley? One of the Dr. Horsleys? Hi Or, I?
0: Uh, or yes, a comment? I do. Uh, would you like me to offer it now? I, I hear that uh, you're still talking.
1: No, let's go ahead.
0: Okay, first of all, I want to congratulate you on this uh, wonderful show. Uh, it's very, very useful. Um, my uh, son was killed um, in an auto accident uh, several years ago.
1: Do you have your computer on, Preston? Yes, I do. Oh, turn it off. That's the problem. You're getting a delay. Okay. Or turn the sound down or turn the computer off, yeah.
0: Yes, I have a, a question for both of you. Uh, concerns, um, my son was killed in an auto accident several years ago. And um, at the time we had, uh, and still have, two, two daughters. One was in high school and one was in college. And I know that uh, during that time, as I look back on it and listen to your program, I realize... Uh, I was caught up so much in my own grief that um, I uh, failed to acknowledge uh, the grief of these daughters. And uh, although it's been many years, uh, I'm sure that I've uh, I made a lot of mistakes in that time frame. And I just wonder if there's any way uh, you could suggest that I could uh, make it up to them.
1: Well, I'm going to give this to uh, Heidi because she's a sibling, but I want to say this, Preston, uh, I think all, I mean, as a bereaved parent, I can say that I, felt, I still feel the same way because I I feel that I was so incapacitated that I really did a lousy job of parenting at that time, but somehow it seemed to work out because I've got wonderful kids. But, Heidi, would you go for that?
2: Wow, Preston. I'm very impressed that you have come out and said this, and I think that if you went to your two daughters and said exactly what you said on the show to them, that would be amazing, and that would be all that they would need to hear you did the best you could at the time, and is there anything at this point that you could do um, to help them because you realize how much they've been through and you had no idea, you know, the significance of a sibling loss and uh, is there anything you can do now? I think that would be an amazing gift to give them. Uh, are you up for that, Preston?
0: I am, yes, indeed. Thank you so much. That's wonderful advice, and again, I appreciate uh, the work you're doing—it's um, there's a there's a wide audience out there that needs this help. Um, thank you again.
1: Well, thanks so much for calling. Thank in. you, Preston. And uh, we've got Eliza. Hi. Um, Hi, Eliza. Hi,
2: Eliza. Uh, where Hi. are you from? I'm from Palo Alto,
1: California. Uh, did you have a question for us or a comment?
2: Um. Well. Uh, last year I'm 16 years old and last year my sister was killed in a car crash and it's been definitely very difficult for all my family but I think because of it my parents aren't letting me take drivers ed this um this summer and I they they're considering it in the fall but I re- I really want to take drivers ed so I can learn
1: how to drive and get myself around.
2: How uh, do you want to take that? Okay, Eliza. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, I hear that over and over and over from teenagers saying, look, you know, my sibling died, but I deserve to have a normal life, and my friends are driving, and I want to drive. Um, while I can understand your parents' concern, I also understand what you're going through. You're 16, and you want to learn how to drive. Um I'm wondering if there's any way to compromise with your parents. I do a lot of compromising when I work with teens and their parents and find a way maybe that your parents could allow you to drive in the fall and maybe they could drive with you and you could reassure them that you're going to be safe and wear a safety belt and, you know, that you're going to be a good driver and put their fears so that their fears could be less.
1: Yeah, because as a parent, I can say that uh, those fears are very normal. I remember um, when Heather uh, went out, you know, just to a party uh, uh, for some time after, uh, one of my son's, uh, Scott's friends, went out to find her to come back. And just so he went to the party to see she was okay and then came back to tell me she was okay. I was so terribly, terribly anxious. So there is a lot of fear. And I think parents normally feel uh, concerned about their kids driving, but um, under these circumstances, it, it is nerve-wracking for them, and, and I can certainly understand that. But we do have to let our teens do their thing.
2: And this and, is why it's yeah. so hard to lose a sibling during your teenage years, because you are separating, individuating, and becoming an an adult. You know, moving into that age, and your parents now are pulling you back in the system because they're afraid another child's going to die. And this is the time where you need to kind of be able to move out of the family system a little bit.
1: But we certainly understand what you're going through. Get your parents to listen to the show, Eliza.
2: Absolutely. That might help them. And like I said, try to compromise if they'll do it.
1: All right. Thank you very much for the
2: advice. Good luck, Eliza. Take care. Thanks for calling in. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Well, Heidi, um, I wanted to... um, give some families some ideas about some of the things that we did, some of the things that are in the book, and some of the things that they might do uh, to work with their teens and with the family. And um, I know some of the tips we've got in the book um, are uh, letting kids know that they have the right to grieve. Have you got a thought about that?
2: Acknowledging and validating sibling loss and letting kids know that now that you've heard the show, you realize how hard it must be for them and uh, how hard the loss is.
1: Yeah, could you talk a little bit about Family Fun Night? Because I think that's really important.
2: Well, I think Kind of happens, amazingly important. I think what happens is when a sibling dies and a child dies, we feel guilty about having fun again. We feel like, how, how, I don't have a right to have fun. I don't have a right to enjoy myself because my brother's dead. And so we need to give families permission. And we get, we, I actually go into families and I give them a homework assignment. I say every week, you have to go and do something with the family. It can, you can start out doing it small, um, and you have to go and have fun. And because this is with
1: the, with the with uh, the firemen families, the nine eleven firemen families. families. Yeah, yeah and uh, I work with Heidi on that. And it's interesting because one of the biggest um, that's one of our biggest interventions is just giving them permission
2: to have fun. Absolutely, and the families come yeah. back. You know, we only say do it once a week. Go out and have fun once a week. If they can do it more, wonderful. But we tell them it's an assignment once a week, and they come back and thank us. They say we needed permission to take a break from our grief because we feel guilty if we take a break from our grief.
1: So what we want to do on the show right now is we want to give all you people out there permission, in fact, as a homework assignment, to have a family fun time. But make it small. The first time it may be getting their favorite ice cream and having a bowl of it together Mm -hmm. or maybe just walking around the block or maybe watching them skateboard or, you know, going bowling, maybe to a movie, but make sure you don't make it like we're going to do this camp out or, you know, we're going to do this whole weekend thing together at first. They may not be ready for it. Mm -hmm. How about rituals, Heidi?
2: Um, I think rituals are very, very important because sometimes teenagers don't want to talk about the loss, but they want to have rituals in place so that the whole family is remembering the person. And, you know, in our situation, we... My parents would put a rose in the front hall on special occasions, and so we could go into the front hall and see that, and we knew, oh, wow, it's the day Scott died or it's his birthday. But we didn't have to say anything to each other. There wasn't that pressure to speak. We just knew that that rose symbolized an important occasion, you know, that related to Scott. Also moving pictures around the house on certain days. People take photo- Teens have told me they take their siblings' photos and move them to important places in the house on their – the sibling's birthday, or, you know, on holidays. Um, Balloons, you can get hot air balloons and let them go on the sibling's um, birthday, the sibling that died. And you can
1: make up your own, own rituals and, uh, you can email us those rituals. We'd love to use them on the fo- uh, show. And please email us the things that you're doing in your family. It's time to close our show now and I want to thank my guest and my daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi, I believe you've addressed many of the concerns of parents regarding their bereaved adolescents. Your messages of hope, courage, and finding a new normal really inspire me, even as your mother. You're a perfect example of how a child can go on to survive, thrive, and do amazing things, even after living through the death of a sibling. It's a privilege to have you as a daughter, and it's been a great pleasure for me to have you on the show. I'm sure you've been a great help to all the grieving teens and their parents. Mom, thank you so much, Heidi.
2: Thank you for giving Brief Siblings a place to feel acknowledged, heard, and validated. I think that's very important. Thanks oh, for having thanks. me on the show.